come up and read uh, from that so we continue in our, our normal approach. So, brother, if you would come uh, read the scripture for the day, and um, we'll continue in worship. As he comes up, I'll pray. Great God, what a blessing to hear about all that you do for your people, those that know they're yours and those who will soon find out because of beautiful feet that will bring the gospel. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your plan of salvation by sharing of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. God, would you make it be a blessing to us? Would we be blessed by being able to do those things um, in your, your name, for your glory, and for your honor? God, we're excited now as we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 18 and we hear from your living word. God, would you make us be expectant that you would do a work in us today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 18, 1-15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who quickly prepared it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Surely. I'm sorry, and he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. What a, uh, what a great passage. Um, so by way of, of remembering where we've been, last week we covered the entire chapter 17. Um, and so remembering, of course, that the, the scriptures come in context, it's important to remember that God had encouraged Abraham's faith. He came and he reminded Abraham that, yes, he is in fact going to have a son. It's still going to happen. And maybe Abraham is now, has this top of mind. I can imagine he's, he's reflecting. He's still thinking on things. Perhaps he's, he's coming up with a way to share with his wife that she has a new name now. Imagine bringing that information to your wife. Uh, uh, the Lord told me that your name is now different. Good luck messaging that one. What we see today is Abraham is responding rightly to God in faith, in service, and in obedience. And importantly, we see that God is doing all the work. God is initiating. God is making a way. God is providing a covenant. God is securing the covenant. God is making sure it all happens, and it grows Abraham's faith. And it should grow our faith just to see it. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If God wants it to be, it shall be so. Um, He's not like a man that he should lie. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. All of these are big words to say what what he says will happen is exactly what will happen. And these passages encourage us in that. It stands out that we hear that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Or perhaps we heard the the rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And no answer was required because nothing is too hard for the Lord. And any time you struggle with that, I would suggest the best way to handle it is to flip to the beginning of your Bible, to the book of Genesis a little bit earlier in chapter 1 and verse 1. When you're struggling to think, is something too hard for the Lord? Maybe there's a circumstance in your life. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's something that you don't want to bring before him in prayer. We read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Is anything too hard for the Lord? By the power of his word, light is defined, which separates the day from the night. 
By the power of his word, the earth was created into heavens that were created by him, by his word. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He's the creator over everything. He has control over everything. Colossians would say that by the power of his word, everything is held together. He's the glue that makes sure everything exists. If he were to stop holding it together, there doesn't have to be some cataclysmic event. It just is no more. Because by the power of his word, everything continues. When you go to bed at night, your body breathes in and it breathes out. At some point, that will change for you. It will stop doing that. But it's such a great reminder when you go to sleep and your body stays resuscitated all night that God is at work. What causes you to breathe? Don't know. But if you stop, you'll find out very quickly that you probably can't unless you apply some outside force, such as a bag or something like that. Your body just will breathe. You know the feeling, remember being a kid swimming to the bottom of the pool, how fast do you rush up to the top of the surface of the water? And so we get this often repeated theme across Scripture that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And Genesis chapter 18 is where we're first introduced to that. Starting in verse 1, and the Lord appeared before him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. These oaks were mentioned before in Genesis in chapter 13, but to pick up with a little bit of context, we'll go to Genesis chapter 12. And and I bring this up to say, um, I've told you before, I remember the the moment that that I first realized that the scriptures were a living, breathing, two-edged sword that divide between bone and marrow and soul and spirit, that they tell one single story. Um, Maybe you've heard scripture before kind of taught kind of choppy. Um, I would encourage you to read the book of Proverbs like a book. So often one passage is quoted here, one passage is quoted there, and then you read it and you realize it's fatherly advice to a son. It reads through like a book and like a story, but we can tend to treat scripture like it's the uh, proof texting. You know, you just go to find the thing that you already think is true. You find the passage, you read it, and you say, well, look at that. It confirms what I already think. Except sometimes when you read in context, you realize it's about something else, right? This Romans 8.28 could be written in some athlete's eye block right now, which teaches you that you can have anything that God will give you, except when you read earlier, as we discussed this morning, it's about prayer. It's about you don't even know what you want or need, so the Spirit intervenes. If you look in Romans 8.26, the Spirit intervenes with groanings and intercedes for you on your behalf. And so, similarly, to get a little bit of background, to see the wonderful context of Scripture, we go back to Genesis chapter 12. And in this scene, remember, Abram's name has changed in chapter 17. We're, we're back, it's Abram. He lies and he says that Sarai is his sister. And then we see God intervening to make sure something happens. Genesis chapter 12, verses 16 through 19. And for her sake, Sarah's sake, who thought was his sister. He dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. He was wealthy. He's a rich guy. It's like the John Nicholas's favorite uh, television show, Cribs, you know, when people introduce the garage full of hot cars that you can never afford, and so you watch it so that you can just uh, just seethe and uh, 
desiring to have things that you can't? Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, then here is your wife. Take her and go. This is Father Abraham, the faithful Abraham. These are the heroes of the faith that we get to see truly and and in a very real light and sometimes not very glorifying light, which really shows to, to glorify God. God chooses imperfect vessels to tell his story atop so that we would be encouraged by him. That's what we should get. Not, not some kind of a man worship. It should just draw us further to worship God who can make anything happen. This is God who's going to make this story happen through Abraham. And the ways that he has to intervene at times are incredible. They're miraculous. He caused a plague to fall on Pharaoh's house so that something that ought not happen wouldn't. Because God had guaranteed a covenant. And God is not like a man that he should lie. What God says is what will be so. And so God steps into time, intervenes in the life of Pharaoh, causes plagues to fall on the house so that they would realize and let Abraham and Sarah go. In chapter 13, as we continue on in 13 verses 14 through 18, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. That's every direction if you weren't keeping up. Verse 15, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, And he settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So he lies that his wife is his sister. Odd move. God causes plagues to fall on Pharaoh so that they would let he and his wife go. He then separates with Lot. He says, Whichever, whatever you want, I'll go the other way. Lot picks what looks like the best land. Abram takes what's left over. God says, look in every direction. It's all going to be yours and your offsprings forever. Abram was a man of faith. No wonder. He's constantly hearing from God what he's going to do for him. He is constantly seeing God intervene in his life. And so when we look back on our own lives, When we look through times of trial, those become encouragements later, though, right? Like, you know, sometimes somebody brings something up and you say, ooh, too soon, too soon. I'm not ready to laugh about that yet, and I'm not ready to enjoy that yet. But if, by God's grace, you've been a believer for a while, you can probably look back over several years and say, wow, God was screaming at this point in my life. God was doing so much in my life in this period that perhaps felt terrible. Um, said before, if you, could, if you could kind of plot your life, if you could plot your life on some kind of a chart, and you had two charts that you were plotting, one was about trial and discomfort. That's one chart. Another 
is about growth and maturing and growing more in the image of Christ, I think they have common peaks. Because that's when we tend to grow most is when we're uncomfortable. When we're comfortable and things are going well, we tend to cruise and sometimes we drift. Like maybe you've seen that on the, on the freeway before when a car starts to drift. Generally, it doesn't drift towards safety, right? A car driving down the road under control is safer in its lane, not drifting all over the place. And the Christian life is very similar. A directed Christian life that is focused on Christ as Lord, that looks to please him, that desires to grow more and more into Jesus' image is vastly safer than one that isn't. And for, if you're God's, he will get you back on that track. He will get you back into a place of worship. He will pull you through seasons of, of, of dryness and, and, and where your spirituality feels, feels waning. I hope you haven't, maybe you have. If you're a believer today and you haven't, you will at some point experience a season where things don't feel as rich as they used to feel. And that's God growing you in that season. When, when, when you get to focused on the gift giver over the gifts themselves. That's growing in grace. And I want to encourage you that being a part of a family of believers sees you through those seasons. God doesn't call anyone to be a Christian alone. People want to do that because there's no accountability in it. You want to just hide out in your house, not be around other people, not participate in the church, which is Christ's own bride. It is not good for you. And so we get to see Abram growing. We see Abram now has returned to this place where, where he was after God caused so much to happen. And then God gave him this land and he goes to the oaks of Mamre and built an altar to the Lord. He returns, he's worshipful, he's thankful to God. Now again, in Genesis 18, we find him in the same place. Now he's sitting in the door of his tent. Think about the past couple years for this guy. You're talking about a 99-year-old man. He's left his land. He's taking this big, crazy entourage, right? Talking about camels and donkeys and tents, probably following grazing fields and, and water, really having to trust God for your provision. Can you, can you imagine a nomadic lifestyle? You got to get up, you have to move everything and go to a new place. And so he's now sitting in the door of his tent. Verse 2. He lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. Scripture says he lifted up his eyes and looked. Um, we see that also in, in Joshua, Joshua chapter 5 and, and verse 13. Joshua has a, a similar scenario, a similar event. When he was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Kind of a bummer of a thing to look up and see. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or our adversaries? So this concept is not an 
unfamiliar concept. He lifted up his eyes and he looked, and there before him were these three men. How'd they get there? How did these three guys get there? Did they just kind of show up? Did they, had they walked up? Were they sneaking, maybe? Uh, maybe they were tiptoeing up. Maybe they had some really light sandals. Maybe those, those ninja socks hadn't been invented yet, but perhaps they were stealthy. Don't know because the scripture doesn't say. And that's, I think, an important thing to remember because there's something that you can do in reading on top of a text. You can read so much on top of a text that isn't there, and you might even sound interesting and compelling. You may come up with some kind of a teaching that allows people to kind of itch the ears, but it's not good for us because you can say whatever you want. And how safe is that? That's why Paul would celebrate the Bereans. He said they would take what he said and they would compare it to the word to see if it is so. That means, how do I know what is so about God? The measuring stick is his word, not someone's emotions or their creative sayings. That is not the measuring stick to know if it's so. It's the word itself. So how did these guys get there? We don't know. Who are they? We'll start to get some understanding around who these folks might be. But I think you've got to leave the door open to a few possibilities here. Certainly, this is what theologians would call a a theophany, like an appearance of God in some way. And and we see this reaction uh, uh, from, from Abraham. He's sitting in the, in the heat of the day. It's the middle of the heat of the day. He's sitting in this tent. And these three men, he looks up his eyes, he looks up and there's, there's three dudes and he runs to them. Now, imagine this. Do we feel like Abraham's like a super excited guy? Maybe he has a, he's all keyed up, he has a ton of energy drinks a little bit too much coffee, he's constantly sitting at the door of the tent ready to sprint to the first person who walks up. I would suggest no. I don't know a ton of 99-year-olds. Um, but that doesn't, to me, describe the kind of energy I expect out of a 99-year-old. I'm 43, and I'm concerned what another 50 years could do to me. You know, I already have to take naps just to make it through the day. I am really not sure what I'm going to do in 50 years. Uh, maybe just crawl in a ball and wish for death. God, take me home. So this concept of the theophany is, is that God appears before humanity. And I think we'll see the, the authority that one of these men speaks with makes sense out of a theophany. In theophanies, we see that God accommodates people by stepping into time and communicating with flesh and blood. We have to remember that uh, God is otherworldly. He stands outside of this flesh, outside of this place. He remembers we're but dust, right? But sometimes we think really, really highly of ourselves, but we forget the creation account was, was kind of piling up dust and breathing life into it. We're animated, we're like claymation, right? We are animated figures that God has created for his glory. And so then he steps into time, not his, his normal mode. He's, he's, he doesn't ha- God doesn't have a body. I remember having this conversation with some, uh, with some, some bicycle uh, driving elders at my house one time who said, well, the, the psalm says that his, his hand is like the, the, this span. So great. The psalms also say that he desires like a hen to gather us under his wing. Right? You have to understand the genre, the type of scripture you read. It's poetic. It's, it's speaking poetically. It's allowing us to understand who he is. 
It's like describing something to a baby, right? Babies, and I call anybody who's like under 10 a baby, much to their displeasure. Babies don't have a big database of information. They have a lot of questions because they're learning about everything, right? They're like, they're like uh, chat GPT, walking around learning as much as they can so they can repeat it. Maybe you have some terrible things that your, your family has poisoned you in your mind with. Um, I remember believing at one point that common house flies land on you and draw blood, and Brianna laughed at me. I'm like, what do you mean? That's what they do. She said, no, dude, that's what mosquitoes do. You just, you learn things, and you repeat them, and you don't even necessarily know if they're true because you're building this database of information about the world around you. And so to accommodate children, we, we describe things to them, and we try our best based on the words and the things that they've experienced to, to let them understand a bigger concept. And that's accommodating. That's accommodation. That's God accommodates to us. His whole word is an accommodation to us so that we can understand more about him. How do we know the character and nature of God? His word. And that's an accommodation. He describes us to things. Say, well, it's like this. Or you know what it's like that plants grow in their seasons. This kind of helps describe this other concept. And so God accommodates. And this theophany, this God stepping into time, which he lives outside of, and talking to people, talking to Abraham is a great accommodation. It shows the grace of God, shows the love of God, shows the patience and the mercy of God. doesn't have to do that. Desires to do that. And so whether or not Abraham fully grasps the theophany, we can't be entirely sure, but there's a lot of signs that he knows this is not a regular visit. So we have to remember that we, standing outside of the story, knowing the whole context of the New and the Old Testament, knowing where this is going, we have a lot of information that he didn't have. Moses penning this story, there's some, some footnotes that are kind of by Moses, and this describes what Moses knows about this scenario. It doesn't mean Abraham knows it. So, there are a lot of context clues that say he, we know that uh, he would recognize this isn't a regular visit. He's sprinting all over the place, and we'll see that in a minute. Um, in my estimation, this is not how 99-year-olds behave. Usually you have one of those walkers with two tennis balls on the back. You know? um, so what we're seeing then is, is one of 10 different visitations from angels found between Genesis 16 and Zechariah. Ten times when the angels has kind of stepped into time and life and interacted with people. Oftentimes when they do, people are struck by terror or people want to be worshipful, which the angels will not receive worship. In several instances, we see um, these kinds of visitations. Genesis 16 and 7 would be the first. Genesis 21, 17. Genesis 22, 11, Genesis 31, 11. And then two very fascinating and I think helpful to understanding this story occurrences in the book of Exodus. So if you were going to flip to any of the things I just rattled off, I would encourage Exodus chapter 3. Gives some, some insight to these uh, angelic visits and, and what could be going down here. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. 
why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him, out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. The angel of the Lord that appeared before him from within the bush is then described as the Lord, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. This is the often. This is God visiting man in some other form so that we could be accommodated, so that we could see him. And so Abraham ran from the tent to the door to meet them and bowed to the earth. Bowed to the earth. Very specific description of, of his greeting to these guys. It doesn't say he kind of, he bowed, he ducked a little, he showed some resistance. He bowed to the earth. Face in the dirt. Body on the ground. He recognizes something about this visit which is different. And he ran to the tent door to meet them and prostrated and bowed down like this. Um, friend Jeff Mock will often joke about people who maybe don't work so hard on a job site and stand around looking at people. Maybe their, their job is a leaner, I believe he would describe it, which is the, the guy that has the shovel and just kind of leans on its handle. They, they love to watch work. They're fascinated by it. They don't do very much, but they watch a lot of work. I'm a leaner. I like to watch work. I'm fascinated by it. I learn a lot by watching people work. And there's something that I've noticed about young men and older men when they're working. And here's the secret. Older men work slower, but they get more done. They truly do. If you watch it, watch a skilled tradesperson working. And then watch some zealous young man throwing their body all into it, cranking their back. You know, they lift the way you used to when you were younger. Everything they do is like a fast motion. You're wondering if they're okay. Why is everything you do jerky, you know? Like when I send my kids to clean the house, they sprint through the house wearing socks. And just as you can say, hey, don't trip and... They're crying on the ground because they've moved too quickly. There's something about their slow, measured pace that tends to get things done. Part of it is the body just starts to break down, so you work at a slow, steady pace, but also providing those years of experience, ending up on top of those younger guys that are rushing around and throwing themselves into it. That's kind of what I expect, but I see this 99-year-old man at the sight of looking up at these three sprinting to the door of the tent. And will follow him. He continues to say, almost crazed, trying to serve these guys. He says, Oh Lord, if I found favor in your sight, in verse 3, do not pass by your servant. Oh Lord, Adonai, if I found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. He looks up. He sees these three. He seems to be vectoring in on one. He says, Adonai, if I found favor, if I've done something to find favor with you, don't leave. Sit down. We see Abraham responding rightly to God in faith and in service 
and in obedience. And the entire tempo of Abraham changes from that admission on. He goes from in the heat of the day, hanging out in a tent and trying to stay cool, to running around like a, like a crazed man. Verse 4, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Refers to himself as their servant. He refers to someone as Adonai. Abraham is, is looking to refresh these guests, and it comes from a place of faith. It comes from a place of service. This, these are marks of a believer. This is the, the, the imprint of what happens in someone's life who's worshipful, who's, who's thankful to God. Someone who's worshipful and thankful tends to have all of their faculties changed. Even folks who started out incredibly bristly, if you know anyone like that, their edges kind of soften in Christ. And those people would, would tell you, oh, you should have seen me before. Abraham is refreshing his guests. And you must ask yourself, is this the way he acts around anyone who walks up to the tent, sprints out the door, calls himself their servant, calls them Adonai, says, hey, let me bring some water and, and wash your feet. Let me get a calf. We'll slaughter it. I'll make you something to eat. My, my wife is making some, some fine cakes right now. And why don't you sit under a tree and cool off and, and be refreshed and, and spend some time? I don't think so. I think he knows that this is a unique visitation. But Scripture's silent on that. But I do think we see something different here. Verse 6, And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three say us of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And then he was running out the tent door. He saw that look and he said, I'm sorry, will you please make those cakes? 99-year-old Abraham is running around from tent to field to his guests asking for cakes of the best ingredients to be made. He's not saying, hey, rustle up some leftovers. You know that casserole we had last night? Get, get some of that. I'll get him some water. No, we're making fresh cakes for these people. I'm going to go and I'm going to get a calf from the field, and not just any calf. I'm gonna, you know, not the one that's sick and it's about to die anyway. Right? We're going to eat that. He's going to go get from the best. He's still rushing. He's going to have the calf, if you look, it says to, to be prepared in a hurry. Verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf. Talk about bad luck to be the chosen calf in this. He took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He's serving these guys. Still rushing all over the place. Now he's running to get the calf. He's having it prepared. He's preparing them a charcuterie board. And then look at the end of verse 8. And then he stood by them under the tree while they ate. 
boy, there's something about these three. He's not sitting down at the table. He's not like, hey, let me pull up a pillow. We'll all sit on one side because that's how we do it. We'll all sit on one side of the table. We'll recline at table. We'll all pull up a pillow. We'll eat the, we'll eat the, the, the Father Abraham charcuterie board with fresh calf and cakes and, and flour. I guess you don't eat flour. That's part of the cakes. Curds. He's standing by. You know, I think my family laughs at me all the time because they'll want to go somewhere to eat, and, and I'm really picky. Newsflash. Like, real picky. Do I mean about food? No. I'll eat whatever you put in front of me. But I don't want to go to one of those places where it's like a cafeteria where you get your tray and you kind of tell people what you want. You move like this. I want to sit down, and then I want to be able to ask someone what's on the menu, and, and then I ask them what they would get if they were me, and then I don't get it. I get something else because I'm that guy. You think about those, those folks who, who wait on you, and hopefully you're tipping them well. Please don't be that person. Those, those people that wait on you, what do they do? They stand by. They're not sitting at the table. In fact, there's, there's some that do that, and that's weird. Right? They kind of sit down at the table, and they pretend like everybody's friends, and, and you're thinking, gosh, I wish you weren't doing that. It's weird. Um, they stand by. They wait to see if your glass gets empty, and they come over and they fill your glass back up. They, they look and see when your plates are ready to be removed so that, so that you can have some room on the table so that everybody can have a wonderful meal. They're standing by to serve you. That's how Abraham is being described. What is it about these three visitors? He doesn't even sit down to fellowship with them. He's, he's standing by watching them to see if there's anything that they might need. He's rushing to prepare this great meal, picking them a choice spot, maybe under his favorite sitting tree. Maybe in this area where he had previously built the altar and worshiped God after escaping from Pharaoh. God again comes now to encourage his faith. Father Abraham was faithful. Of course he was. Look at all that God did. Look at how God pursues him. Look at how God constantly comes back and re-encourages him. Look at how God comes back and says, "You're gonna, every bit of land that you can see, north, south, east, and west, it's yours. The dust. You're going to have more, more children and offspring than, than dust. They'll be innumerable. You won't be able to count the, the number of rugrats that you're going to have running all over this place. And it's going to be yours and your offsprings forever. Abraham, and you're still going to have this son. I know you feel really old. I know it feels like 99 is an awfully, you know, weird age. That means you're going to be like 104 at T-ball. Talk about being the old dad. Try, try, try dad pitching at 104. Abraham responds rightly to God in faith, in service, and in obedience. What a great example for us. What a great example. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same God that's here encouraging Abraham's faith. If you're someone of faith today, if you're someone that looks on the word of God and says, that's it, that's my everything. If there's something I disagree with here, then I will now be corrected because I am, I am wrong. This is everything. This is all I've got. This is how I measure truth is by this word. Do you thank God for that? He's done that work in you. 
He pursued you. He wrote 66 books of his word so that your faith could be nourished. And that's why we should be in the word. It encourages our continued faith. It's a living word. It, 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 doesn't go, it doesn't go out and return void. It always does what God wanted for it to accomplish. What a blessing that he did that for us, gave us his word. We shouldn't have dusty covered Bibles. They should be well-worn. Unless, of course, you're into premium Bibles, then they should not be well-worn because they're well-cared for, but well-read. And if you don't have a premium Bible, I would encourage you to talk to Pastor John Nicholas, who will help you choose your next premium Bible. Verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Now pause. This stands out to me. Because Abraham was claiming her as his sister not too long ago, telling that lie, and then God had to completely save it for him. And then just in case he didn't know, they were talking about Sarah, who's his wife, they say, where's Sarah? You know, your wife, not your sister. And he said, she's in the next tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, I am not an acoustics expert. However, I don't think tents offer up a lot of resistance to sound. And so I, I tend to think, and this is just me positing, I tend to think, they say, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? So that she would go, what's that, my name now? Maybe you've been in that scenario before where you hear somebody talking to you. Generally, you don't go, oh, well, they're talking about me, and then you move along. No, you, you tune in. It's like uh, the million-dollar man. You see everything just kind of goes to tunnel, tunnel vision, and the only thing you can hear is what this person's about to say about you. You need to know what this person's about to say. Hey, where's Sarah, your wife? The Lord said, Adonai said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Undoubtedly, she's curious about what's going on here. She's just received a new name from her husband. It's probably, he's probably thankful that they're there using this new name. So, see, I told you, it wasn't me, God. Abraham's been running around, probably barking orders at people to create this midday feast. Probably not something that's commonly being done. You know, if you, 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 know, you live somewhere like Pennsylvania where we get all of the extremes, right? We get enough cold that you'll die in it. We get enough hot that you'll die in it. You're probably not baking at noon, right? When it's like 9,000 degrees outside. It's like the, the, the internals of an inferno in Harrisburg where the the, 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 the humidity outside is completely equal to the temperature outside. It's 98, and it's 98. You're not baking in the oven at this point. So this is, this is a strange visitation. He's running around like a 99-year-old madman, sprinting from person to person, saying, hurry, do this thing for me. You've got to prepare this meal in the middle of the day. Now we find him standing by under the tree, not leaning back and listening, and now he's receiving this information. Verse 11, in case we had forgotten that they were old, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. 
the way of the women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I would submit that some of what the Lord is repeating from Sarah, he's given a graceful edit on for her. I would also submit that she likely didn't say these things out loud. I think that God is is perceiving exactly what her thoughts are, what she's thinking, how she's understanding this situation. On the one hand, to be completely fair to Sarah, I think it made a lot of sense to say, this body ain't having a baby. Maybe some of you have said that, right? And so we get it. Now, it's really easy to stand back because we see the flanagram. Now, if you if you just started in church, stick with me. The flanagram is what your church had, and your Sunday school teacher would open this box, and it had all these little characters in there. It would stick it, right? It would stay on the board, and you'd tell the Bible story, right? So we see the flanagram coming from a mile away. We see the story of Sarah. We say, did you laugh? Oh, indeed, you did laugh. Ha-ha, she was totally wrong. How could she not know she was going to have a baby? She's 90. She is literally just said why she's not going to have a baby. And it's fair. But it's not a faith. She's not acting of faith in this moment. She's acting out of disbelief. She's scoffing at the news that she'll be with child. Maybe she is not recognizing this as theophany. Maybe she's not realizing this is some angelic visitation. Maybe she's saying, my goodness, I'm in here sifting flour. It's the middle of the day. I was just working a strong nap. And then my Insane husband who just changed my name came in here yelling about sifting flour and making cakes. It's hot, tired, and frankly, I'm old. But verse 14 gives us the key. And what a blessing this is for God to give us this gift recorded for all time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now imagine with me for a moment. If you could sink that so deep into the core of who you are, That's medicinal. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus would would say, you know, that his father is a good father and he gives good gifts. Most of us can think about, you know, the way a a good father would want to treat their child. If they asked for an egg, would the father give them a scorpion? Love that example. No, it's going to give us what we need. Now, what if the thing I want isn't what I need? Well, guess what he's not going to do? It's not going to give me the thing that isn't going to be good for me by his grace. Unless he is, and he's going to use it for a trial. So knowing that nothing is too hard for the Lord should stay us to survive this life. Because this, this life will chew us up and spit us out for so many reasons that scriptures gives us guard. Don't be covetous. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. What if we lived in these ways? There's an entire moral code that talks to us about what our hearts, desires, and faculties ought to be. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Job, in chapter 42 and verse 2, love the book of Job. Uh, Job had a bad day. If you you read the book of Job in chapters 1 and 2, I would suggest there's a few verses, if you've not read it in this way before, I would suggest you do. 
and, and you're not going to read them. And it's the counsel between God and Satan. Skip that part. Put your hand over it, put a little piece of paper over it, and then reread it without the counsel. That's Job's perspective. Job does not get to know that he was the most upright man in the land of Oz, continuing on about his life, praying for his kids in, in, in the event that they might have sinned against God. If you have adult children, you know exactly what that means. And then one day, one of his servants comes, and they tell him, hey, everything is gone. A storm came, it knocked down buildings. Another servant comes, took out all the livestock. Another servant comes, killed all your kids. And in that, Job never sinned. His friends, people should not have friends like Job's, came by and said, uh, certainly there's some hidden sin in your life. God is getting you back. He is paying you back in this life because of something you did, Job. He's covered in boils. He's, he's got worms coming out of his skin. And he still says, 42 chapters in, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. My gosh, what a, what a testimony of knowing that you know who God is. Knowing that you know that he is good. No matter what befalls you, God is good and no purpose of his can be thwarted. That is iron for this life. And we need metal for this life. Increasingly so, we need metal in what we believe. We need to be strong on our convictions. If the word says it, it is so. If you laugh at me because I believe what the word says, I feel terrible for you. Because you'll believe anything. Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then we see Mary's reaction. We've had another strange birth announcement in Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is old in her age and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. God is collapsing these stories in his word. Your mind is supposed to think back to the promise of Abraham because we're now getting the promised Messiah who comes in that same line, pushing all the way up through David, pushing all the way up to Mary in this other strange birth announcement. And Elizabeth, who's old and was barren, is now going to have the forerunner to Christ who was going to prepare the world for his coming. What a wonderful story. This should encourage us. Church, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing. Look at Zechariah 8, 4 through 8. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9. He can make children for Abraham from rocks. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according 
to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the powers at work within us. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Abraham responds rightly to God in faith and in service, and in obedience. Uh, I want to encourage you this week to, um, on your own, read through Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This is the, the song that Mary's driven to when she realizes that nothing is too hard for God. What an incredible truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for the blessing that you give us of your word. Thank you for the blessing of assuring us that nothing is too hard for you. God, so that when we feel faint, when we feel weary, when we feel like everything is out of our control, we realize everything is in your control. We can confess with Job 42 and 2 that it's all in your sovereign control. We enjoy your encouragement from the book of John that we're secure in your grasp because we know, God, that you can cause everything to happen according to the counsel of your will. We thank you from Romans 8 that we get to see that your spirit prays for us and intercedes for our behalf on the ways to, to, to pray according to your will like we can't even do for ourselves. God, you are such a go-getter God. I pray that you would use that truth to encourage us to, to share your truth with a dying world. With, as Barry said, the 14 million lost people in our region. What a terrifying truth that should drive us to share of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. God, would you give us an opportunity this week to do just that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.